0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Are you absolutely positive, the best you can, humanly speaking, that your son or daughter have truly accepted Christ as their Savior? As they get a little bit older and they're in church a lot, they can certainly pick up what I call the Christian ease or the Christian lingo. So they can say kind of like the stuff that makes you think that they're saved, but they have never had a genuine heartfelt conversion in their own heart. And so we might, uh, well, let me say we might, we should be very grateful for our Sunday school teachers and those that work with children's ministries that they're giving them the gospel and glad that we put them underneath all that sound as we should. And I hope we keep them underneath the sound of the gospel from those groups that give it clearly and correctly. But at the same time, the ultimate responsibility is to check out your own sons or daughters' salvation and continue to work through that with them. So that's lesson number one. Lesson number two is teach your sons to guard his mind. Teach your son to guard his mind. I remember there was an advertisement on television many years ago. It says, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. Did you hear that? The mind is a terrible thing to waste. And I'm just thinking of these, these little children, these, the minds that they have and how much is affecting them. Now listen carefully to this. Do you know that you have information going into your mind that you are not consciously thinking of but are still going into your mind because it's going into your ear gate? It's going into your sight gate? It might even go into your feel gate as you touch something and it bypasses the actual cognitive thinking of that. It goes right into your subconscious and that will feed you as well. Now let's pause for a moment. I know those that are maybe listening to me on another device in in our presence right now, they might not hear this but listen very quietly. What do you hear? Well, besides the traffic going up and down the highway, if you listen very carefully, you can hear the hum or the whoosh of the air conditioning. Now, probably you didn't think to listen to that until someone drew your attention to that, but that was going into your mind. That's why that when you're having your children, you have to be so protective of their mind of what to prevent from going in also to provide opportunities for right stuff to go into their mind because whether it goes in subconsciously or consciously, everything is going into this mind here and is it going into some delicious soup that's going to be able to serve the world or is it going into something that will become a cesspool that's going to poison the world? And too many of us have been watching television this week where this young man goes in and he shoots up a bunch of people that are high heroes. He kills them all and mom and dad basically say, I had no idea. A little depressed, it sure caught me off, off guard. You have things like that happening and I'm wondering why would it ever caught you, catch you off guard and something like that if you weren't monitoring them. And you might say the child is older, but... I think we still need to have a hand on the pulse of our children and what's bringing them to a particular direction. So I'm not here to judge, but I am telling you that we need to help our kids to really guard their mind. It is a terrible thing to waste. It's so impressionable, and it's not a bad thing. It's a very good thing if we can use it correctly. Number three, the lesson was to teach your son to obey his parents. And I really parked a lot on that last week, and I need to go back to that again, not to change anything, but to really kind of seal the deal on this. Many times we think that when we're teaching our kids to obey us, such as take the trash out, clean out the cat box, wash the car, don't forget to do this, do that, all of those are great things to do. What you're teaching them is to listen carefully to directives, instructions, and perhaps even commands, issues that they need to take care of. They need to know what they are. They need to have the capacity and ability to fulfill those. And they need to then do that. You need to teach them to do that, that delayed obedience is disobedience. We've got to teach them that. That helps them to learn how to work under all authority in life because that's what makes uh, life the way it works, is to work under authority. Everyone works under authority. I have authority over me, you have authority over me. If they can't work under authority, they ought not to ever be in authority, so they have to learn to work under authority. Now, it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. I don't want to do that, so listen carefully, so I'm going to give you the balance. While it is very important that you give issues and commands and instructions and and uh, um, jobs for your kids to do growing up, little things like that, to make sure they learn how to do it cheerfully and well, and in a state of uh, complementing the whole program, that type of thing, where you're doing that. Sometimes we work very hard on teaching them these kinds of obedience. When I go back to Scripture, I don't find anywhere in Proverbs where it says, Be sure to tell your son how to hitch up the donkey. You know, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, be sure to tell your son that he ought to put the bow and arrow in the closet instead of laying it on the floor somewhere. You don't see that. What you do see over and over and over again is where the parent, particularly the dad, is to teach the son these truths that they would obey the commands of the Lord. So now watch. If we teach them these general commands, the things to do around the house, at the same time we're teaching them to obey the Lord, what they're now learning is the dynamic of submission to authority. Very simple. If they won't obey God, they won't obey you. And so we then bring into their life the responsibility of obeying the Lord. Now, part of that is you need to obey your parents, which then trickles down to all these other things. But remember, the primary thing is is to monitor your kids, especially your sons. Are they obeying God because... They're obeying you. And so all of this about obeying parents is important. And I don't want to ever minimize that. But I also want to make sure that you're checking up on them. Are they really obeying the Lord? Are they having a quiet time? Are they meeting together with selected friends? Are they worshiping the Lord? Are they the first one there, the last one to leave and serving others? You know, all the things necessary to bring out that inner walk that's inside of them. So teach them to obey the Lord. Number four, the, uh, the fourth one is to teach your sons to select his companions. Teach your son to select his companions. And I would add the word wisely or carefully at the end because children are always going to be a sum total of those that are going to be influencing their lives. And who they hang around with, they'll become more and more like them. So basically you say you become who you roll with. And so if they roll with the wrong crowd or questionable people or lukewarm Christians, they'll have the problem. Um, We were... um, teaching our young people, particularly our kids, that we did not want them, oddly enough, we did not want them to marry a Christian. And um, that might sound crazy, but we told them we wanted them to marry a dedicated, committed Christian, one that is hungry and thirsting after God, not just any Christian. Because there are some of those that are still struggling through their walk, we get that, but their heart needs to be turned toward the Lord. And whatever their struggle is, they're going in the right direction of wanting to grow and they miss a little bit and they get back up again, they get going again. So we want them to be marrying those that are really dedicated. Now, new material from last week on this point, because I wanted to leave you with something positive instead of just seeing all these people that are out there that are bad and keeping them from it. The question then could come from your son or your daughter saying, okay, I shouldn't be around this guy. Bad company corrupts good manners. And this, this guy swears. This guy tells dirty jokes. This one doesn't obey his parents. That one has trouble with authority. That one's a lazy person. Mom, dad, I don't have anybody and I gotta have my own fellowship group. I get that. So what do you do in that situation? Are you ready? Okay, hold your place in Proverbs. Go to Psalm 119. I'm going to show you two verses and help them lovingly. Put your arm around them with these two verses to help them so they can begin to, while you get rid of one, you want to make sure you put in the right. It's like Jesus says you cast out seven demons. If you don't do what's right afterwards, more demons will come back and fill up the spot that the seven left. So we don't want that either. So turn to Psalm 119. Just two verses in Psalm 119. One of my most favorite psalms in all of the psalms. Psalm 119. And then um, look, if you will, at verse 60. Let me find it here real quickly. Psalm 63. First of all comes a conviction. And this is what you're working on for your son and your daughter to have this kind of conviction. And that is verse 63, Psalm 119. I am a companion... And that would be an intimate companion, someone that we are friends, someone that we have so many things on the same page with. We are companion, fellowship, walking together of all those who fear you. Now, I like the word all there because that then can take in different ethnic groups. It might even take in some different ages. It perhaps even could take in different uh, uh, sex, uh, guys, gals, etc. So all those, but then it qualifies it by saying those who fear you. And if you look in the original language, it's the same dynamic of loving the Lord, fearing the Lord, hating sin. So in other words, I want to be a companion of all those who fulfill the first point that I gave the first lesson, that they fear the Lord, their God. So in other words, as much as your son or daughter fears the Lord, you want their friends to do that, and you want their, comp- their commitment to be, I am a companion of all those who do certain things, not who are on my team with me necessarily, not those who think about my philosophy of life together, but those who would agree with the biblicalness of God. Then it goes on to say, and of those who keep your precepts, which I like because now you put the two together. I respect the Lord, I awe the Lord, I hate sin, but I also want to do what you tell me to do. So this is the covenant conviction that you're hoping to have your son have in his own heart as he develops his relationships young, as he then gets older. So it's better to have a few that are great than to have a whole lot that are not great. But that still may not be enough because he's saying, okay, I want that, but where do I get all of that? Well, practically, if you uh, you, you're not going to find them going to the honky-tonks and the bars all the time. You're not going to find those kinds of people there. And if you do, I'm questioning why are they there and all that. So what do you do then? Go, if you will, to verse 79, <clears throat> same Psalm, Psalm 19, verse 79. It says, now David then says, may those who fear you turn to me. So now you teach your son or your daughter that their prayer ought to be. Okay, you want those kind of people in your life. So now go to the Lord and say, Lord, let those who fear you, same idea, revere you, same convictions of a holy life before the Lord. Lord, would you have those turn to me? Now watch carefully. Look up here for a second. If if your son wants that, those kinds of people who do that, those kinds of people will not turn to another group who do not do that. So that's why what comes first is the son having this in his life, so when he prays, those kinds of people will seek out those kinds of people. Now let me speak to those of you that are in education and teaching a little bit. Have you ever noticed how that you can have your class, and you kind of know those who are the, the slow to warm up kids, those who are the, the easy kids that are really all good and they listen to whatever, you, they're very nice kids in your class. Then you have the very draining type of rebellious kids, okay? Have you ever noticed you can have a whole classroom of that? You inherit another child that comes in, moved down the island, had to come into the class, you get him, he's in your classroom, he happens to be rebellious, Isn't it just the weirdest thing how within 24 hours that kid will not vacillate to any of the others? They know how to, like radar, pick out the bad kids. Have you ever noticed that? Say, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. Sunday school teachers know that too, probably talking about your kid. No, I'm joking. But they can see that. Now, that being said, it also works in the reverse. Those who have a heart that's beating after God, as it is a child, still growing, still developing his understanding of the Lord and all of that, but he's pointing in the right direction. He's more apt to find those that will have the same things in common. The music that would be turned toward the Lord. Ideas of helping to serve others. Excitement about Christian activities. Things like that. But it will stay in the verse. So it says here, so you pray, Lord, may those who fear you see me. See that. And then it goes on to say, come to me. I love that. And then it says, even those who know your testimonies. So I want someone who has been in the Word a while. I want those to be my companions for life. Now, I learned this at a seminar many, many years ago, and I like this so much. I want to share this with you. You can write it in your margin, and I'll get to the next point. There's basically four levels of friendship, and I don't want to do over-compartmentalizing. But the first level is, we might call that an acquaintance. An acquaintance is someone that you kind of bump into, you see them. Some of you that are new in church, you have a few acquaintances here. These are people you see at church, you see them around, they're acquaintance. You might have even stood next to them in line at our aloha time, etc. That's an acquaintance. Okay, the next level is when you have someone that is known as a casual friend. A casual friend now is someone that at least you know their name. Now, you might forgot their name, but you kind of half remember their name. You kind of know them a little bit. They're more than an acquaintance now. They're kind of casual. They're the ones that when you come to church, you pull up, you go on the lanai, and you kind of feel more comfortable because you know that person a little bit. They're a little bit casual. You kind of bump into them just a little bit more. Same way you're sitting here in our sanctuary. You're kind of a casual. You kind of know them. You feel kind of safe with them. So you know a little bit about them, a little bit about their name. You're getting to know them. The third level is going to be the one who would be called your close friend. Your close friend is someone who probably already has you friended on Facebook, probably has your phone number, someone that you're a little bit closer with. You probably had more exposure to that person beyond just one time a week at an event that you're forced to connect with them. So it's a little bit more, a little bit closer. Your fourth level is called your intimate friend. Now your intimate friend, do not read into that a sexual friend. What we're talking about an intimate friend is someone that you could say to that person, we are intimate, which means... Into me see. Intimacy. Into me see. It's someone that you feel so safe with that you believe is that friend we just talked about here in Psalm 119 that you don't have problems beginning to expose more and more of the real you to that person. And that person is doing the same to you. And the whole purpose of doing that is to discover God's mind on your relationship, God's mind on the issues you're dealing with in life. And so that kind of a companion. Now, you'll have a lot of acquaintances, a little less casual, a little less close, and far less uh, intimate friends. But that's how the base is here. And so be very careful. Now, one more step, and I'll leave this point. When it talks about bad company corrupts good manners, you can still have acquaintances that are bad company. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to corrupt your good manners. But as you take that relationship with that bad company up this little ladder that I'm explaining to you, that's when that person now begins to have the greatest influence on you. So your whole purpose is to go back to verse 63 when it says, I want to be this way and I want to develop my friendships and I'm going to let my friendships um, end at certain rungs on this ladder who do not own this and do not want to go to that next level of intimacy with God and each other. So again, teach your sons especially. Now, why do you teach them that now? Watch. Watch. Because you have a better way to monitor them while they're going through their learning curve of selecting their friends at this age. You can watch them more. In fact, I suggest that your kids' friends spend more time in your house than your kids spend in their house. You're all writing that down, I can see. All right. Because you could observe a little bit more of what's happening. And it wouldn't hurt for you sometimes to be a friend to your kids' friends. Guys with guys, gals with gals. Now, I don't mean to steal your, kids, your son or daughter's friends away from them. But it does mean that there is that connection there. And that way you can monitor them. You let them out a little bit. You reel them back in. Well, you know, why am I saying that? We are given some 18 years to help hone that skill down. Because later on, they will go off to college. They may go off to military. They could leave island, wherever they might be. And if they don't learn these kinds of practical ways of how to make a friend, keep a friend, pray for a friend, they're going to have to learn a lot of that on their own or hopefully try to remember that which you either modeled or mentored or both when they were growing up. So that's why this is so important to teach them these truths right now. And bottom line is, is that sometimes they need to learn that it's okay to just be alone. Sometimes the the greatest growth will come when they're not around friends of any kind, but when they get alone with the Lord and have their own little spiritual Sabbath. Okay, enough said about that for now, I guess. So let's go to number five, lesson five. Teach your son to control his body. Teach your son to control his body. Now, if you'll notice, I'm trying to build a case here. Fear the Lord, you do that, take care of your mind, but you need outside influence, so listen to your parents. When you're doing that, you have to have more than just your parents, or could have more than yourself. So select your friends carefully, but when you do, watch out, especially for the, of the girls of the opposite sex. Now, again, I'm speaking to the dads with the masculine context of their sons. Now, if you will, go back to Proverbs chapter 2, and let me just share this with you here. Turn to chapter 2, and I just want to read you verse 16 through verse 18. All right? Those of you that might recall, when I started teaching point number four, teach your sons to select his friends with care, you will notice as it went through here, it talked about choosing the right friends in the aspect of not having bad friends. So go to verse 12 for just a moment. It talks about verse 11, Discretion will guard you, understanding will watch over you. To do what? Once you have wisdom, 12, to deliver you from the evil, from the way of the evil. And then it says, from the man who speaks perverse things. So in other words, it'll keep you away from the wrong kind of friends if you have wisdom. Now leave there, because you have to deliver you from that kind of a guy in your life, person in your life. Now it jumps right to verse 16. That same wisdom, discretion, understanding, will also deliver you from the strange woman. I don't know what translation you have. It says strange woman. So let me park there for just a moment. Now, when you hear the word strange and you read it there, it doesn't mean strange like they're kind of off the rocker because of some mental deficiency. I'm talking about strange, actually, in some translations will say a foreign woman. Technically, it would mean a woman who is an out-of-towner type of woman, foreign, foreign to the culture, foreign to the community, foreign to the family, out of the regular realm of knowing them. That's why it would be called stranger here. Going back to the Jewish culture, it would also then say not only a, a woman who is strange to them, but it would be a foreign woman of another country, an, of another belief system. And that's why the Jews were told to make sure that they did not marry their daughters off to uh, men from other countries and, and, and their sons to women of other countries because they would then bring in the pollution into their own life. Are you tracking with me? All right, The wisest man was taught all of this under the inspiration of the Lord. Watch this now. Chapter 2, I'm giving you that. I'm going to have to open up a little bit more. Chapter 5, you're going to find the whole chapter 5 deals with Moral impurity, particularly from a masculine point of view. And then chapter 6, verses 20 through 35, gives you a chunk in chapter 6 that deals with it. Chapter 7, the whole chapter deals with it again. So in the first 10 chapters, yea, the whole book of Proverbs, there's such an indictment against people, who men particularly, who will choose to go after strange women. And so that would tell me that it is so easy to do that. And how careful we need to be. I had a talk with a, a young man recently, a man I love very much, a young man, and I was asking him what I could pray for, and one of the things he asked me to pray for is that he would be, you know, uh, chaste, and proper in his life. Not because he has problems with that, not because he's, I've seen any of this in his life, it's, it's even more mature than that. It's like, I don't want to have that problem. And he's so smart because some of those that even preach the stuff I'm preaching to you today, great men of God, have failed horribly while they would teach it, but they wouldn't live it. And all you do is go to the internet and it seems like almost every week or every month, a national figure crashes and burns. So maybe that's why the Lord kept saying, listen, 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 listen to this. Control yourself. Now, Proverbs was written by Solomon underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What is interesting to know is that the same Solomon, as he got older, he didn't follow his own advice, which made it even more sinful. Because the older he got, the more he walked away from these truths and he ended up having hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wives and concubines. It stole his heart away. It caused him to sin That brought the beginning of the moral ruin of the nation of Israel at the time. So much so that years later, decades, hundreds of years later, Nehemiah's building the wall and he found out that these people were here married in an unholy relationship because they didn't control their bodies. They just wanted to marry and just fulfill all that lust that was there. Now he's got a problem. It caused him so much anguish that he reached into the crowd and even tried to pull out the hairs of some of the men because he just said, this is wrong. This is sinful. This is wicked. And he says, don't you know what happened to Israel because of Solomon doing this? So he was screaming back because they could look back historically. That's what happens when you violate this scripture. And so dad's, You have to model a separation from all that lust and moral impurity that's out there so that you can be true to your marital vows and then you can have a platform upon which to stand to teach your sons to be true to their marital vows. Now, when it says strange woman, the woman that's far off, etc., can I be real practical? Because I don't think we're going to look at there. She is a strange woman walking at me. But it's any woman you don't know as well that... um, can, as Scripture says, with her sweet talking, the way she dresses, the way she bounces around, and some of the things that she might say, can easily capture this person's thinking into rationalizing that it's okay for the moment, but all it does is it drags that person like a, a cow to a slaughter, to hell even says. And how easy that's to be done. So now let me be simple, and that is... um uh, When you send your sons off to college, they're going to be around thousands and thousands and thousands of strange women. That doesn't mean every Christian college and all the college have wicked women. It just means they're all strange to him because he doesn't know. So he needs to be very, very careful of how he presents himself and what he does and where he goes and how he communicates and the relationships that he begins to make and knows where the strength is to draw the line and when to hold him and when to fold him kind of a thing be a part of their life. Let's go back to the verse here. It says here, From the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, which very much implies now this is someone who had a covenant with God because she forgets the covenant of her God, so there was a certain degree of ownership. I doubt seriously that the sons, your sons, will probably go after a strange woman who's not saved, etc. will probably go after someone who is saved, but has left the covenant that she's made with her God. Verse 18, for her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. In other words, to the useless, futile, empty life that'll happen. So now the question is, is what do we do with something like this? How important is this in our life? Well, we do know this, that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So the point of being around other gals, guys, is to make sure that you know where the line is drawn and that when you're single, that's generally at that age, you're trying to find out who might be a wonderful life partner. So be very, very careful because there is a line to be drawn, to not be unequally yoked. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, our wife here in just a moment. But I would just like to caution the young men in here to realize that once you have intimacy, With someone who is not your wife, you are still yoked to them in a very unusual, emotional, tied way because it's an inside job rather than just lying or taking answers off of someone else's test paper. It's far more, I mean, it cuts you to the quick. You can never unring that bell. You can never unscramble that egg once it's happened to you.